Hello there, wherever you are, and whenever you are. Welcome to this edition of the Redheaded Preachers podcast for Sunday, January 24th, 2021. I'm Richard Lanford, the pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, and I am the Redheaded Preacher. I've been there for quite a while, and it's my honor to bring you the message. It's called coming through the call to Nineveh, and the scriptures read by Mandy Stegmuller are from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 10. The epistle reading is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 through 31. I do not touch on that. And the gospel passage is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. Verses 14 through 20. I hope you are blessed by what you are about to hear. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 10. This is past the part where Jonah was called by the Lord to go to Nidia, past his refusal, his time in the belly of the great fish, and his getting back to land. The passage begins after Jonah has been delivered to dry land out of the fish. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nivea, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nivea, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nivea was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nivea shall be overthrown. And the people of Nivea believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This ends the reading from Jonah. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 29 through 31. Paul is very much expecting the second coming of Christ, and so gives some advice as how to live in the meantime. I mean, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let even those who have wives be as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no possessions, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is the reading of first This morning the gospel is Mark, chapter 1, verses 14. Jesus has been baptized, about which we heard two weeks ago. His public ministry begins as John the Baptist Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his mother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishing. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets. As he went a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, 
who were in their boat mending the net. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson in our scriptures for the Holy service. May God have a glad, wise, and generous understanding to this God's holy word. Prophet Jonah is an interesting biblical character. Among all the prophets, his story is unique. The book bearing his name is his story. The action, growth, and development within the story center on him and his relationship with God. Jonah, like the other prophets, receives a call from God to deliver a message to a people. And that message is to turn to God and away from their godlessness in their society. It is a familiar prophetic message that can apply throughout history and to countless communities. It is also what Jesus says in the beginning of today's gospel passage. Jonah has to deliver it to those who have oppressed him because where he is from, is in what's called the northern kingdom of Israel, which was conquered by the Assyrians 130 years before Jerusalem and the southern kingdom fell to Babylon. So, Jonah doesn't want to do it. That reluctance to take up the mantle of the prophet does not make this story distinctive. That's not what's unique about it. His determination and zeal in resisting his assignment does. Jonah says no to God and to the call of God on his life. I am out of here. Most authorized ministers I know, when sharing their call story, will recount at some point how their journey, on their journey, they ran. They ran from the call to vocational ministry. Sometimes that reluctance stems from a feeling of inadequacy to the perceived demands of the call. For others, it may come from a desire to live a life that they plan, rather than to surrender to God's plan and vision. For Jonah, it appears that the reluctance was rooted in resentment towards the recipients of the message. He did not want them to turn from their wicked ways and therefore receive the mercy of God. Jonah whose story is rich with grace-filled moments for himself, objects to God's grace extended to his oppressors. We don't get this as much except chapter 4, which we did not hear today. That's unfortunate. As Douglas Stewart notes, throughout the book, Jonah displays a readiness to receive mercy and blessing himself, and a stubborn reluctance to see his enemies, the Assyrians, receive if the book of Job is an allegory that attempts to address why good people suffer, then the book of Jonah demonstrates what it looks like to love your enemies. Jesus, in relaying the two greatest commandments, does not provide any outs. There are clauses that allow us to exclude certain people from the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. He did not qualify that we are to love our neighbor. He didn't qualify that we are to love our good neighbor, 
Because it's easy to love the neighbor who keeps up their property, greets you with a smile as you pass in the street or in the driveway, and drops off the occasional gift. But what about that other neighbor? You know the one. One who you dread to see and try to avoid. In a world of that, despite the physical isolation of pandemic, is closer than it has ever been, our neighborhood has expanded globally. Through social media, we have been, and now even more, can connect with people throughout the world. That ability provides the choice to either expand our world of view with the diversity of lived experiences and perspectives, or to curate even more, as somebody has phrased it, siloed communities. We just take care of our silos. Jonah was called to get a message through to that great city, Nineveh. We can imagine it as a cosmopolitan locale with diverse communities, wealth and prosperity alongside poverty and deprivation, with beautiful architecture in some spots and abandoned buildings in other quarters. It's easier to isolate in large cities than in small towns or rural communities, but there are more ways to separate than physically. Sometimes you or I might withdraw from a community by withholding our full selves. We don't speak up when our values are challenged by what seems to be the prevailing view. Peer pressure, after all, does not end with middle school or even college. Jonah was called to speak up, and often so are we. Fear of being ostracized did not silence Jonah. Contempt for the hearers of his message made him resist to sharing the good news. In this week's passage, we encounter the second chance to prophesy. And this time, Jonah responds to the call. He shouts, he goes to Nineveh, and he shouts to all within hearing, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Given his history and disposition toward them, we might imagine Jonah declaring this with a measure of glee as he walks through the city with a message of impending gloom and destruction for his Last October, the United Church of Christ pastor, the Reverend Cheryl Lindsay, went to vote early at the Board of Elections located in downtown Cleveland. And she wrote of her experience, while standing outside in the physically distanced line that wrapped around the block, I could hear someone on a loudspeaker. As I got closer, I could see and hear a group of people closely assembled together with no mass, who were proclaiming eternal damnation to the very diverse group of people waiting for their opportunity to exercise their civic right. Much of what they said angered me greatly, and I was tempted to get out of line and initiate a conversation. The reality of pandemic and their maskless state along with the possibility of losing my place in line after about 40 minutes in line, convinced me not to do that. Part of me regrets that decision, but when I picture Jonah traveling through Nineveh, 
I can hear the zeal and delight in the voice of the man with the megaphone. Even at that time, I remember thinking, if I honestly believed that all these people in front of me were going to hell, would I sound so happy about it? Sure, there was anger in his voice, but it wasn't the weariness of preaching good news to a hard-hearted people or the grief of a lamenting prophet. It was the delightful anger of delivering bad news to one's perceived enemy. End quote. Well, do you imagine or have you ever imagined Jonah sounding like that? The lectionary text does not include Jonah's reaction. That's, as I said, in chapter 4, but it's important because he gets mad at God when God shows mercy to Nineveh. He, and he said, I knew you were going to do this. I didn't want to do this. And then God tells him, you know, hey, get with the program. Um, sometimes when I think of Jonah, I wonder what it would be like if the people heard the preached message and, like Nineveh, decided to do more than take it seriously and urgently. I imagine what it would be like if, after hearing a message challenging you and me to do or to be differently, the gathered community, and we can't really be a gathered community, but we're imagining, would arrive en masse and decide to do that very thing and right now. That's the beauty of the altar call. It provides an immediate opportunity to respond to the proclamation of the word. That's why having communion, or even receiving the offering after the sermon, can seem to flow just right. This passage from Jonah focuses on the response of Nineveh. While Jonah is the central character of the book, the story isn't all about him. The people of Nineveh deserve attention, and their response is instructive and inspiring. Is it possible that the people were hungry, perhaps starving for this message? Perhaps at some level they knew they were what they were doing was wrong, and they recognized they were on some kind of wrong path, but did not know another one to take. This idea, this possibility of their readiness, indicates that on some level, the people of Nineveh could have been waiting for God to speak. God called Jonah to be that messenger to Nineveh. What if God is calling you and me to be the messenger to our Ninevehs? Have we been forced out of our sanctuaries by COVID alone, or are we being pushed out to speak a word to the world around us. Maybe especially to that neighbor who is so hard to love in times like these. Jonah was not called to preach to the choir. He was called to speak to the people who were on the other side of his life experience. He was called to offer another chance to the people that benefited from his past harm and hurt. That's a hard thing to do. We can understand the humanity of his reluctance. Yet, often you and I are called to do the hard thing. To speak a hard truth in love 
and to live the hard way of merciful action. In Jonah's case, there was healing in Nineveh as a response. Well, in response to the political turmoil in these United States, many leaders have called for healing. But unfortunately, for some, in their version of healing, it means moving on as if recent events have not happened. It's been a call to forget more than a call for healing. Real healing requires a correct and proper diagnosis of the problem, as well as recognition that a problem exists. And in this case, persists. Real healing is treating the wound. Binding up brokenness and eradicating, if possible, the infection. Perhaps surgery and therapy afterwards. Lasting time, lasting healing takes time, lasting healing takes energy, and it's hard work. For healing to take place, what and who has been broken? must be made whole. Repentance, as we are reminded in Scripture, is a prerequisite. And it reminded me of Martin Luther King Jr., who reminded us when he was alive that those who oppress are broken people too. Hurt people hurt people, including themselves and others, and we are like a interwoven in the same garments of destiny. The freedom for some really is going to is meant to be the freedom for all for what's holding them back. So for healing to take place in wholeness, the hard work of repair also is in the lives and of the powerful and oppressive. It must begin there too. That includes accountability. It includes grace. A preacher has said that we all want grace for ourselves, but want judgment for those who harm us or who harm those we love. That is Jonah's testimony to us. Loving our enemies is hard. Resentment flows more easily, more freely. Jonah was, quote, forced to carry out his mission and to struggle with God's compassion for Jonah's oppressors. And so sometimes are you and I. Our silos, to use that phrase, can become comfortable places that we desire to dwell in with the same fervor that we want to return to our sanctuaries, with the same fervor that we want. We get to be with people we know and who do not challenge us much. We can feel good about our marginal attempts to engage in justice from afar with prayer or a book study or a chat. And while those are appropriate responses, should we be satisfied with them as ends or consider them as the beginning? Equipping steps of our participation in the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there are people who join movements because they are looking for meaning and purpose in their lives. They get caught up and indoctrinated in its tenets, values, and community. It's hard to extract them from its grip because it fed them when they were hungry. It filled the dry spaces. It visited them in their loneliness when they felt the church 
had abandoned them. Gave them a path to follow and a way to be that they understood and could claim with religious and those environments, excuse me, and those movements were able to stake a claim in the lives of so many people, while much of the church decided whether it realized it or not to take the Jonah approach and disengage from a lot of the world around us. Did churches become experts in building and maintaining silos with not a whole lot of room for hungry seekers? Oh, there are soup kitchens and food pantries to meet physical needs, and more than those. But somehow, parts of the Church of Jesus Christ began to believe that feeding spiritual hunger, that's imposing too much, rather than one beggar telling another where to find the bread of heaven. In our mainline correction to harmful evangelistic practices, many of us, Stop telling the good news to anyone who had not already heard. Perhaps, as I said, we don't know, but maybe Nineveh was hungry for the message, as shown by their immediate embrace of it and response to it. God would not give up on them and would not allow Jonah to do so. The text tells us that the Holy One's mind was changed about the calamity that would befall them, but God was consistent in concern and compassion for that. By choosing to keep sending Jonah, God also demonstrates consistent concern and compassion for the reluctant and resentful prophet. God does not give up on Jonah either. A call to follow God's direction, purpose, and plan requires more than we sometimes feel equipped to give or more than we want to expect. It's costly, but the kingdom needs it from us. Nineveh was called to repentance. They needed that, and they answered that call, and God saw it and changed their future. Nineveh wasn't just them. Ninevehs are all around us, hungry, desperate, and in need of a message calling for recognition, repentance, and repair or healing. God has not given up on them. God has not given up on us. Either. We can do this hard work. God does not call the equipped. God equips those God calls. God has called us to this. As we are called, let us go in faith and love to live. What are your Ninevehs? Or maybe you only have one. Question? I think maybe a lot of us already have a pretty good idea as uh, we examine our lives. The unexamined life is not worth living, said Plato. And so I'm sure that a lot of us have examined ourselves enough to know very well who or what the Ninevehs are. And is God calling us to go to them? And are we sure it is God and is the message from God? I always ask a lot of questions 
whether in the sermon or in a place like this. So I'm going to stop talking and thank you for tuning in. Next Sunday for January 31st, it is the Sunday before, it is the Sunday preceding uh, that same day, our annual congregational meeting. So do not be surprised if you tune in for the next message that it has, that the message has something to, to do with covenant and, uh, and the idea of a congregation having an annual meeting this time, of course, through Zoom. God bless you and may God bless your week.